Today I'd like to share the parable of the Good Samaritan. Wherever Jesus walked with his disciples, crowds would follow him. And he'd sometimes instruct them and sometimes pray for the people. Sometimes he would answer their questions. And on this particular occasion, there were lawyers and Pharisees in the crowd and they often had questions. And in this case, a lawyer asks Jesus a question. We read in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Now a lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? The man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. They would not have understood the impact of what Jesus meant about live. The word there, Zoe, is not just you'll exist. It means that you will have a fulfilled life. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbour? And Jesus answered, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and then departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest came down that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, he looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. I will repay you whatever else you spend when I return. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to him who fell among thieves. The lawyer said, the one who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, and to everybody standing around actually, go and do likewise. Now this seemed like an abrupt ending, go and do likewise, as if Jesus had given a perfectly tidy answer. He was ready to look up at the group and say, next question. But what he said was a stinging blow into the conscience of each person that heard him. That story would have lived on in their minds, as it lives on in people's minds all over the world, even to this day, the story of the Good Samaritan. And those words go and do likewise, the impossible task. And Jesus had answered the question from the legal expert of who is my neighbour? But that was not the original topic of the conversation. That was a diversion from the lawyer trying to justify himself. But he'd ask another question originally. The lawyer's original question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyers and the Pharisees, as well as the priests, were the ones who were the custodians of the theological and the ceremonial culture of Judaism at the time. And they were violently resentful and resistant to the wisdom 
and the power of the teachings of Jesus. They were forever trying to trap him in some incorrect interpretation of the law and the scriptures. And Jesus often put all of these people on the wrong foot by answering their questions with another question. And on this occasion, he asked the lawyer, what is written in the law? Man wanted to know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer correctly answered that to inherit eternal life was all about loving God with your whole heart and loving your neighbour as yourself. And this is precisely what Jesus wanted to discuss, which was about love between us and God and between us and one another. That was because Jesus was teaching about God's kingdom of love in the earth that he was bringing in. That love comes to us from God and is to be lived through us and to remain for all time on the earth, in the earth, and then from age to age into eternity. That is the inheritance of eternal life. That is the answer to his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the answer. So Jesus told the lawyer he had answered correctly concerning God's eternal kingdom love. And he told him to go and live out of that love and he would have the eternal life he was seeking. However, the lawyer did not like being given that kind of penetrating answer. So he deflected Jesus with that other question and said, well, who is my neighbour? Jesus then spoke the parable we've just read and the story was set within that religious and cultural custom and all the moral standards of Judaism of the day. So they knew what was going on. And when Jesus related how the priest first and then the Levite both ignored and then avoided having anything to do with the man, this man who had been beaten up. Now that would have stung the ears of any priests and Levites there. But the rest of the Jewish listeners could perhaps have been thinking, wow, that poor guy that was beaten up, that could have been me. And they probably had an expectation that some good Jewish person, probably someone just like themselves, would come to the rescue and be applauded as being a good neighbour and being rewarded by God for their virtue. They knew the landscape of moral duty, etc. But that didn't happen. It was a hated and religiously despised Samaritan, a betrayer of the Jewish faith, and that would have stung everybody, not just the, the Levites and the priests or the lawyers and the Pharisees. So that admonition from Jesus about their Jewish tribalism, targeting all of their narrow wrong-headedness and pride and exclusion, their exclusive attitudes, because Jesus was telling them that every other human being was their neighbour. Jesus was bringing in something totally new. Even the unworthy Gentiles and the hated Samaritans. The coming kingdom was open to everyone. The lawyer even had to admit that the Samaritan was the one who showed mercy and therefore was the true neighbour to the poor, beaten up Jewish man. So that alone would have been offensive enough to everybody's ears. 
they would have been put in their place. But there was more yet to come because Jesus was talking about more than just who is my neighbour. So they got that question answered. Jesus was talking about loving your neighbour. What the Good Samaritan did was more than being just a good neighbour. He was a loving good neighbour. And what he did was beyond any reasonable thing for all of them to imagine. Jesus told them that when the Samaritan traveller saw the man, he had compassion on him and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, which is two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. I'll repay you whatever else you spend when I return. Now the Good Samaritan's virtuous act of love drew no applause from the crowd that day. The Good Samaritan simply did what he did and no reward is mentioned other than he acted in love and compassion. Jesus was telling them and he's telling us today that this kind of love is its own reward. It fills the heart and soul with something new from God. This love is its own reward even when it is not appreciated, let alone applauded. <laughs> that story of the loving Good Samaritan is clearly a picture of Jesus himself who sees us beaten up by life and left on the roadside. He takes us to a safe place of rest, which the Bible says is an inn, where we can be cared for at his expense and who has paid the price for our full recovery till his return. It's interesting, the word in there, pandokion in the Greek, is translated as a place where all are received, cared for, and no one refused. Jesus was telling them more than they were hearing. This story is first and foremost about God's love for us. That love never ceases, even when it gets no applause, no appreciation, or no thanks. God keeps loving. God's love is its own reward for God himself. He doesn't need a clap. It continues irresistibly till it finds someone to receive it. And then his love is completed because love yearns to be received. The love of God never stops, doesn't get appreciated, but when it is received, it is perfected. God, who is love, allows the understanding of what his love means into our hearts as we receive it and give thanks. Uh, it doesn't suit a lot of people that God's love works that way because they have their own concept of justice about who deserves God's love. But he just keeps loving. And there, lo and behold, there's somebody who says, I'm receiving that. Something is completed in the earth and in heaven 
But this story is also about our love for one another. Jesus said in the parable that this kind of love is to be our fulfilment in life. You want eternal life? You want to be fulfilled? That's our fulfilment in life as a glimmer of the reality of God's love for us. God is totally fulfilled in love. God is love. And we can be empowered by grace to not only live in, but to live out that love. Just as Paul testified in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he was compelled by God's love to do what he did in serving others. How do we experience that love? We ask God to make his love real to us as we sit in his presence and thankfully receive it. It is as simple as that. That love implants itself deep into our spirit and grows through the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that love. It subdues our soul. We begin to express the love of God because it's been planted there. But for us to allow it to be implanted consciously by faith, because we live by faith, means the challenge is to be able to put aside all of those demanding needs that we have in our soul where we don't feel that we've been loved or things have been unfair or we are deprived, etc. We actually believe and trust that we are being loved by God who can't stop loving and who yearns for us to respond. How can we know that we've loved with that kind of love? Well, we measure how we've loved by being willing to measure how much we haven't loved. It's the only barometer I've got in my life. I can say, oh, I think that was loving. That was loving. That felt loving. That looked loving. But the real thing is, how much have I not loved today? Then we find all the other agendas of the soul that get in the way. Get in the way of what? Not just loving others. Get in the way of receiving love from God first. You have to go there first. You don't do it out of your own intention to love, but let me say this, you do need to have an intention to love. Otherwise, there's no goal, but the starting place is the receiving. So we, we can measure how much we haven't loved, and then we pray for more grace to receive even more of his love. You just don't give up. God yearns to answer that prayer. So we continually put that on top of our list with quiet assurance. There may be a lot of prayers on your list, but this one goes on top because how else will anything else come into a place of completion of the power of God in his love and the reordering of life? We can do that with quiet assurance. We can put that on top of the list because we were created to complete God's love to us by receiving it. We don't have to go and demonstrate it, do anything and say, look, I'm loving you. 
We just say, thank you, I am getting it. This is the ultimate understanding for us to have in order to be fulfilled in life on this earth. If you can think of any other way, please email me your answers. I've tried everything else. Our faith in God is actually our faith in his love. You know he's got power. You know he has a whole lot of things. But I'm talking about being in something. And that love contains all of God's wisdom and justice and discipline and mercy and forgiveness, you get the whole bucket load of it when you just come and say, Lord, I want your love. And he says, yeah, you'll get it all. Here's a bit of this and a bit of that within it. And his no to us is as loving as his yes. Start to get used to that. That implanted love becomes the spiritual energy centre of our life. And it guides us through all circumstances and completes the goal of our salvation. There's no other source. That's all I have to say about love and the Good Samaritan. I'm simply going to end by reading the love verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, from a modern translation. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. <laughs> I mean, I said earlier on, you know if you're loving when you can ask yourself, how much have I not been loving? Here's a list. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, and always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know truth only in part. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompleteness is cancelled. Amen.